space in between. Welcome on, welcome all to the Arsenal Canada podcast extravaganza. We're back. We back. Three back. There's three folks in the room today. I think I'm using my mic. I'll be a good time to ask while five seconds after we start recording. How does this sound? Do I sound like I'm closer to the mic now? Okay. He said thumbs up. We're keeping that in. That shows how authentic we are at the Arsenal Cannon Podcast. Um, so, yeah, uh, one of the people that's here, I guess you can see, is uh, or here is out. Okay. Let me, let me hold a little closer. He said definitely too far at the moment. So I'm going to hold it like a like a musician on stage, if that's okay with you guys. If that's all the same with you. I might have a hand cramp at the end of this, but I'll do anything for this podcast. I will die for the podcast. Anyway. Let me just introduce the guy that, let me introduce our sound engineer, apparently, the Bumptious Brighton Boar, formerly known as a lovely London local lad. I don't really know what he is right now. He could be in fucking Iran, for all I know, or Iran. Um, Alfie. (laughs) You hear that voice crack? Damn. All right, Alfie. What's up, bro? What are you saying, lads? Yeah, yeah, I'm decent. It's been a while since I've said that. Uh, I've been... It's been a, a bit of a mental sort of month since since the season's ended. Uh, had an unfortunate uh, theft of my of my mobile phone straight <laughs> a matter of hours after the Wolves game and the final game of the season, which meant I was unable to record for a bit of time. Uh, and then I went on holiday. I've just came back, come back yesterday from Turkey. So yeah, a lot has unfolded. Uh, there's a lot to chat about. And yeah, sorry for sort of disrupting your intro there, Danny, but we want pristine audio don't we so um but yeah i'm excited for this one just because there's so much to speak about and i've been away for so long but uh yeah what are you saying danny no not much just the intro but yeah no please do i want the audio to sound as crisp as possible but alfie i mean you really did just sort of gloss over what many would consider a pretty traumatic experience so um you know since i'm such a sensitive thoughtful person tell us a little bit more about what happened Tell us everything. <laughs> so basically, I went up to London for the weekend. It was a great weekend in the end, uh, until the ending. Um, obviously, went just shout out the Arsenal Vision guys uh, and Arsenal and Arscast because I went to the Union Chapel event on the Saturday before the Sunday game at Wolves, and it was unbelievable. Um, right, he came out on stage, and I got to see them all talk about Arsenal live, and it was yeah, it was quite inspiring. Got to speak to them all in the bar after. Um, had some good conversations. And then the next day we were in the Tollington very early for the game. Was with a couple mates and then went went to the game. Went there after. Ended up bumping into some of the Twitter guys. Uh, AFC James, uh, Rohan and different knock Alex. Uh, those three. Um, and we ended up leaving. Uh, going to Finsbury Park Station. And let's just say I had my phone stolen uh, by some uh thieves uh and it led to a series of well basically i lost all my money from them um and it was it was verging on identity theft uh, yeah by the way everyone i am here that sounded like some form of like start of a youtube video like basically i lost all my money (laughs) (laughs) and here's the challenge basically i I lost all my money and now i have to survive a night in london Yeah, they they managed to get into my online banking on my phone and sent the entirety of my funds, barring £5.84, to be fair to them, to an account called Johnny Wood, which is definitely legitimate. So if you're you're out there listening to this, you know, thieves, fair play to you. Um, You did get money and Nationwide 
shout them, but also in a negative sense, fuck them, because they have been absolutely abysmal in this whole process. And if you are a nationwide customer, leave them. I'm leaving them as soon as this is sorted. They left me with no money for f- almost a month now. Uh, and they approved a fraudulent overdraft that the the fraudsters uh, applied for. So, yeah, fuck nationwide. But also, yeah, Danny, what are you saying? You sound, you sound like Arsenal fans the other day going at Eddie, just screaming into the mic. Apologies, right. apologies. Right. I had to vent um, that. It's been a long time since I've been on this yeah. show. Yeah. This, uh, by, by the way, on that note, this episode is a, <laughs> brought to you by Nationwide. So, <laughs> by your side, apparently. Nationwide is not on Alfie's side. Um, let's. You heard his voice already, but let's introduce him because, so we can just get crack a lacking on the show. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Rob Bob Bert Bertha, the man that I so like to call Johnny Wood. What's going on, my friend? <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. I was hoping you'd say that. Um, I'm really well, thank you. Uh, we're five minutes into the episode and I've finally been introduced. I mean, it's wonderful stuff, really. Uh, I was going to make a comment about the start of the episode, but that feels like so long ago. You introduced it as a three-back, and that's how, like, Mac Johnson always describes, like, a back three. <laughs> he would never say like a back three or a back four. Or back so Amer- American, <laughs> so American defense. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Uh, it's been a good while. I wonder if one of the listeners can reach out and tell us uh, how long it's been. But it's been a fair while since it's just been us three, the actual three people who are meant to be hosting this show. Um, so. Looking forward to uh, discussing everything. As Alfie said, uh, there's a lot, a lot to sink our teeth into, as I tend to say um, in this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, so without further ado, let's just get right into it. And I'm going to come to Alfie first. Just This is like the most basic, generic podcast starting question I could ask you, Alfie. But Declan Rice has been the name on every Arsenal fan's mind, every Arsenal fan's fingertips uh, via Twitter and, and lips wherever. If, if you're thinking Arsenal, you're thinking Declan Rice at the moment. So just kind of walk me through like your general thoughts of the saga so far and what you think um, his signing would mean to us. Yeah, so obviously it looked sort of like a one-team one race for this player until uh, David... Did David Ornstein... Uh, so it was Demarcio was the initial one, but then I think David Ornstein sort of confirmed the Man City's interest. Demarcio definitely accentuated it and gone against m- many more reliable sources and made Arsenal fans melt down more. And historically, Demarcio are not a uh, well, Demarcio the guy, but also the publication are not a reliable source. So I think, and I saw suggestions saying West Ham are paying them to sort of put this information out to sort of start a bidding war make Arsenal sort of pay more money. Um, and this sort of caused, I've, I've never seen a, me- I haven't seen a meltdown like it for ages. And I thought this is <laughs> genuinely mental. Like a few years ago, we would not be remotely in the conversation for a player like Declan Rice. This is potentially the biggest English transfer of all time. Uh, the biggest Premier League transfer of all time in terms of incoming. Um, it could usurp, you know, Jack Grealish and Enzo Fernandez. Um, and Arsenal are favourites to land him. Um, so just in that sense, you've got to be happy. Secondly, all the sort of criticism of Edu and uh, or potential criticism of Edu and the club for just not securing this deal. If we didn't, the only reason we if the only reason we wouldn't end up signing Declan Rice in this position 
is if Manchester City offer more money than us and he wants to go there. And at that point, can you really blame the club um, if he chooses Manchester City over Arsenal? I'd struggle to do that because, you know, that is a... As much as you're seeing all this stuff about Declan Rice wanting to be part of the project and, you know, playing with these young players and and leading this sort of more historic club with more heritage to something great rather than just joining the Man City team and being a smaller cog in that in that sort of machine and, and winning loads of stuff there. Ultimately, players will be attracted to that. Um I'm attracted to that, you know, guaranteed success. And we can't really compete with that sort of oil nation state team that is guaranteed success. So if he did choose that, I find it hard to, to to blame the club as long as we sort of tried to sign him, which we clearly have. Um, but I, having said that, I think, you know, every like it feels like every other tweet on my feed is Declan Rice only wants Arsenal when he's been, you know, committed to the project for months now. So I'm, I'm very confident we will get that done um, unless, you know, Manchester City throw out some ridiculous bid. Um, but I think people who sort of anticipated there would be no rivals serious rivals for this player like they are you know what were you expecting he's a brilliant midfield player on the market clearly going to go entering his prime there were going to be other clubs interested it would be weird if there wasn't um no one was you know we didn't see any other rivals trying to pay 72 million for for nicolas pepe did we um you know that it'd be there'd be something wrong if no one else wanted declan rice so yeah, but I think we'll get it done, and I think it will happen pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you're right, man. I mean, the uh, the thing about it is, like, once I saw Man City kind of get mentioned in it, I, I think, like most other fans, I got pretty anxious because it does sort of feel like when they come in for a player, players are completely aware of the fact that, like, oh, if I go to Man City, I'm going to win trophies, and I'm going to get paid really exactly, well. Too. Exactly, that's the point. Like, they... When they go in for a player, the likelihood is they'll get them. Um, because why wouldn't you want to go and have that guaranteed success and play under Pep in the best team in the world? Um, so that's why I wouldn't. I would find it difficult to sort of be angry at the club if we didn't pull it off. If Man City really wanted him, I'm not convinced they're that serious about him. To be honest, I think they sort of did this with Kane. They sort of flirted with interest. Um, to try and get Man United to not sign Kane and then they ended up just going for Holland. I think they're sort of joining this race. Uh, it's a lot of sort of PR-led stuff in order to drive the price up for us. I think that's the reality of it. They're, 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 also, they're also not a club who like rejected bids and they don't like being rejected in general. Well, that's what I, they said there was going to be a bid, an yeah. imminent bid, and it's been and two it days come, and that, there's yeah. been no bid. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not completely sure they are... Dip, fully serious about the signing this player. I, I, I reckon they were planning to bid and then did a bit more due diligence. And I completely understand where they're coming from because I don't think I would bid for a player if I just want to treble and he wants to, is maybe more interested in going somewhere else. From City's perspective, why would they want that, that player to join them? Yeah, no, I mean, well, I... Uh... I see what you're saying, Rob, but I mean... Apart from to stop us, which yeah, is... I, it's I was a just going to say that. You know, it's, it's got to be a factor. They see that we're, we were a really strong team last season and adding someone like a Declan Rice to the side when, you know, 
you look at Thomas Partey, who we're going to talk about a bit later, um, and, and even a Grana Jaka, um, who, who goes in and out of four, maybe not as much last season, but this, you know, Declan Rice, I think would probably be probably our most consistent midfielder, you know, and you would think he's going to just pull up trees and go nuts if we sign him and just be fantastic. So yeah, they've, they've got to prevent, uh, prevent us from signing him effectively. And, and look, at the end of the day, I think with City, they're not an insecure team. Basically, it's if the player's good and Pep f- feels as if he can, you know, integrate them into his system, then he's going to sign them. You know, I think it's really that simple. But I think from the player's perspective, something that a lot of people maybe aren't talking about a lot is Declan Rice himself. And I, and I don't mean in the way that, you know, we've heard that he's more interested in Arsenal, but I mean, just in the way of like playtime, even, you know, I mean, I mean, you look at Jack Grealish, what happened in his first season, didn't really play, obviously last season went really well for him, but then Calvin Phillips, no game time, you know, Rob, does that sort of make a player a little bit anxious? And does he sort of look at Arsenal and say, right, well, I mean, sure, if I go to City, I'm going to win trophies and maybe eventually I'll be integrated into the first team. But I could just go to Arsenal, get paid about the same, and be the guy on, let's face it, a bigger team. Yeah, I think I'd be lying to myself if I if I didn't think that was a factor in it. Uh, Rice knows that he's going to join Arsenal and he's basically going to become the superstar of the team alongside um, Bukayo Saka. I think, realistically, those two are the, the, the biggest characters... Uh, that we, we would have in our team and our, our sort of star attractions, perhaps alongside William Saliba. Uh, and that's that's a, attractive for, for any player. I do think Rice is, is a level above the likes of Phillips and maybe even Grealish when he first came in. I do think Rice is good enough just to walk into that City team. I think he's that level of player. Um, and I don't think he'd lack the confidence either um but the the issue there is he, he's probably looking at where he thinks he plays best um and this is probably a conversation that we're going to have over and over again this summer about where we think he's going to fit in at Arsenal I reckon he probably sees himself as a six right now Rodri's probably the best six in the world I don't think it would be far-fetched to say that he's just scored the winner in a Champions League final uh and he's been sort of the one of the defining figures in a treble-winning side, it'd be incredibly difficult to dislodge him. Um, so, yeah, it, the the pathway is clearer at Arsenal, but I think I think there's loads of other factors. Um, I think I, I tweeted earlier about legacy. I think really this is the sort of player who would think about legacy. Um, if he comes in and wins Arsenal a major trophy next season, whether it's the Premier League or, or the Champions League. Uh, you know, that's not, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if he did, he would be the guy who awoke the sleeping giant. That's what I tweeted earlier. Whereas if he went to City, um, he's just a guy who's continuing to con- contribute to the monopolization of English football, them continuing to win over and over again. And he's just a cog there. Here he's the star, and I think that really will attract him. And I'm I'm not going to ignore the fact that he has a young family, and staying in London will be hugely beneficial for him. I know that, but I do want to give credit to Edu and Arteta because 
they have made this a one horse race by doing the the due, the due diligence beforehand by talking to rice for months and months we heard these you know concrete rumors surfaced in january um it was a long long time ago that that's how long we've probably been tapping him up letting him know that he's our number one target and for that reason he he doesn't seem to want anyone else uh you know this could all come back and bite us you never know what's going to happen in the transfer world but I'm I'm very confident, like Alfie. I think if City were willing to spend sort of ninety to hundred million pounds on him, I think he would play plenty of minutes. I don't think it's quite the same as Calvin Phillips, but there is definitely that question mark when you've got Rodri there. Uh, there was talk uh, about they were waiting to see Gundogan's response, and then they were going to move from. He's a completely different player to Ilkay Gundogan. Uh, you're not using him. At, in that same role. So I don't really believe those talks. I think there's maybe something in the idea that he's sort of an alternative to Stones as new role in that, you know, he starts at centre back and inverts into midfield and steps into midfield. Uh but I definitely think the yeah, the point is he's gonna, you know, be one of the key members of this Arsenal team and is, you know, if he comes to Arsenal, he's playing pretty much every minute when he's fit. Going to City, there is not that guarantee. Um, and he want—he he strikes me as the sort of character who wants to be a key member in a successful team um, and not necessarily just a cog in more of a machine, which I think you could argue Jack Grealish has become. You know, he was the star guy at Villa and it took him a year to sort of adapt to playing uh, as sort of part of the machine at City. And then he was brilliant, but he's also just become sort of a cog in that system. Um, and maybe Declan Rice doesn't want to do that, but. I think a lot of it is just that he's been sort of wooed by Arteta and Edu uh, for a few months and he 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 likes the idea of, of Arsenal and the projects that's been presented to him. And just my, my final thoughts on it, I think there's two further factors which might um, sort of make him less inclined to go to City. Um, I think the first one is the charges i don't think it's a good look and i think it's something that players will be considering uh, i don't think it will be at the forefront of their minds but of course it will be a concern and something that agents will be discussing and i think more importantly i you know there's a lot of talk about the pep era coming to an end how long would rice have playing under pep i think this is something that uh ex west ham employee uh, sort of wrote about the other day on his patreon um you know, he's very reliable when it comes to West Ham news and there's talk of Pep going at the end of the season. Are you really going to go to City just to play under Pep for one year? Uh, I I'm not sure. So yeah, I think that's that's uh, really my thoughts on it and I feel comfortable. Yeah, you know, and I was just kind of thinking about the scenario itself when I was driving home. Um, I just feel like this move for Rice... It, you know, I, I don't wish to say we're a stepping stone club or anything of the sort, but I genuinely think that it could give Rice, you know, a lot of experience at a very high level team. And then, you know, basically, if we don't win trophies, if we're not up to scratch, he could probably find himself in a similar to, uh, position to what Bukayo Saka is going to be in, what William Saliba is most likely going to be in, and leave. And just go and go somewhere else, you know, whereas I think at Man City, I'm not exactly, I don't think that's how that would ultimately work. I guess, I guess in theory, he could go play there for a couple of years and then uh, leave. But 
you know, usually players that go to Man City tend to tend to stick around there for a while. So, yeah, I think it just makes more sense for Rice um, in his individual development and then just for the future as well. You know, he's obviously a kind of a stalwart in, in the England team. I think constantly playing for Arsenal is going to do nothing but help him. I, I don't think he's going to get looked over uh, from Southgate to get picked or anything, but you know, maybe if he's not playing as much, Southgate will kind of be like, I'm not so sure he's not playing much for Man City. Whereas if he's playing all the time with Arsenal, Southgate's going to want to play him all the time. But Alfie, is there like a particular, I I think I may have asked you this a few months ago, but maybe things have changed. Is there a particular price that you would maybe pull out of the, of the rice race? Because the the figure being talked about is like over a hundred million now. I mean, he's going to be expensive. Well, just on that point you made, I think it's it's a quite a good point. I mean, you see all these West Ham accounts, or I, I think it's one particular guy, uh, but it might be a few. Uh, I'm not really keeping track of it, but I've seen some of them saying, like, why would he go to Arsenal? There's no guarantee of trophies. It's a sideways step, which is outrageous. Um, and true, there is no guarantee of winning trophies at Arsenal, but there's a good chance in the next couple of years with the player, with our you know, trajectory and the players progressing, coming into their prime, there's a good chance we win something big in the next few years. But you know, if we don't, for whatever reason, this is this it doesn't this doesn't have to be his last big move. You know, he could be here for two, three years, and if we don't show signs of progression, he could then you know, as long as he tears it up, and I think he'll back himself to be very good for us, he could get you know a big move to somewhere else where he, there's more guarantees of trophies in a few years. You never know. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's another good point. It's not like he's, you know, entering the, 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 you know, the later prime years of his career and he's, you know, he's got to win. If he doesn't win something now, he's not going to win anything massive. Um, you know, he's 24, as he said, in terms of price. Yeah, he is not, I, I don't put him in the cat. <coughs> I don't put him in the category of sort of pay whatever you need to get this guy. Um, I think there's only a few players in the world that sort of merit that. You know he's not Mbappe or Haaland. Um, he is very good, but I think if you were, if if it got to the point, I don't think it will, where we're sort of discussing 120 million pounds, something like that. At that point, I would be like, I think you move on and find somewhere else. But I don't think it's going to get to that. I think it will end up being roughly 100 million pounds. Yes, it's an inflated price, but when you compare it to someone like Enzo Fernandez, Fernandez for 100 million. He's a better player than Enzo Fernandez. He's far more experienced. You know, Fernandez had had six months in Europe at that point. Declan Rice has been brilliant in the Premier League for three years now. You know, it, it and he's English, so there's English tax. I don't think it's. I think we look at it. It's not a bargain, but it will be a good deal in the end if we get it for 100 million pounds. And I, I was, I was listening to Arsenal Vision, and they sort of compared it to the Van Dijk deal at Liverpool. Liverpool's rebuild was largely based on signings in the sort of 30 to 50 million price range, which is sort of similar to us so far. You know, they signed a lot of players in that sort of area from lower down Premier League teams, the likes of Mane. Um, and then they sort of brought in the last piece of the jigsaw, which really elevated them to like being a good team to like an elite team. And that was Van Dijk at a, a 75 million price uh, price tag which at the time looked pretty steep i think if you remember it was like the most by far the most expensive center back ever um but obviously it turned out to be sort of a transformational signing and declan rice could be that for us so i'm quite willing to push the boat out and pay a bit over the odds to secure him personally 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really good comparison because yeah, that that Van Dyke seventy five million probably equates to about a hundred million these days. You know, if you look at all the inflation and whatever, so probably more it, to be honest. It's maybe like one hundred and twenty yeah, yeah. or something. I mean, that's funny because yeah, now seventy five million for Virgil Van Dyke just sounds fucking unreal. <laughs> you know, sounds like an incredible deal. Um, obviously, back then it was like, oh wow, but yeah. Um, I mean, in a market where Mudrick and Anthony are going for yeah. what, 80, 90 mil, whatever. Yeah. United and Chelsea have really have just destroyed the, the market completely for everyone. And But, you know, Rob, I mean, at the same time, with that being said, it's like from West Ham's point of view, I think even looking at it from a standpoint where you don't look at the market, I still understand them wanting $100 million for the player because, one, I think he's pretty much that good, and two... He's the captain of the team. He's basically every supporter's. He's he's West Ham Saka. You know what I mean? He's like every fan's favorite player. He's the West Ham guy through and through. So totally understand them asking for so much money. Yeah, I mean, he, you're right. He is that that quality of player. Uh, you don't establish yourselves yourself as one of the best midfielders in the Premier League playing for a very poor West Ham side uh, if you're not that good. Uh, and he, he really is. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable with the 100 million being touted. Uh, I think really this talk of 120 is rubbish. Uh, it, it sounds like the bid that we made the other day was pretty close to what, what they were after. Um, the second bid that was, which was 75 plus 15. Um, I reckon we probably need to do a larger some up front um, with a few less add-ons, maybe more guaranteed um, to to come to fruition. Um, but I, I would say we're, we're pretty close. Um, ideally, I would want the deal to amount in total to 100 million or less, uh, but I'd probably be comfortable with going just over, not much over, but just over, I think I'd be okay with. Um, and it, to be, let, let's be clear here, like West Ham's chairman directly after the Conference League final, uh, David Sullivan said, um, we, we're open to selling Declan this summer. In, in fact, he said, we are going to sell Declan this summer. We, we've made an agreement with him uh, if the right offer comes in. And I'm sure in those talks, there would have been something along the lines of this is going to be a realistic offer as well that we're, we're going to accept. It's not going to be an offer which, you know, we're not going to make ridiculous demands. We're going to make just demands. And I would say 100 million is a just demand. I mean, that sounds crazy to say out loud. And if we were listening to this podcast somehow six years ago, looking forward, I think we'd be laughing. But I think it is just about right if you look at the price tags of some of those other players. Uh, the market is distorted. Uh, I don't really know how it gets saved, to be honest. Um, and we're not helping by buying a player for $100 million. Um, But I think I, I listened to that Arsenal vision the other day as well, Alf, and it just feels like Arsenal have put too many eggs in this basket for it not to happen. Uh, and that's what Paul said, uh, and I think I would agree with that. So I'm, I think we sort of have to pay the 100 million. And yeah, happy days when he signs. I mean, Twitter's going to be a, an interesting, <laughs> interesting place. It's going to be a happy place, uh, that's for sure. And um, yeah, I think some apologies will be needed because 
I hate the way that Edu just gets put on a stick every time something almost goes wrong. Quick to throw him under the bus, aren't they, man? We, it's like, we, it's yeah. like no one else is responsible. It's mental, isn't it? And and we it's not we won't sign him. We if we don't sign him, again, it won't be because of the restructure the structure of payments. We will structure the payments in a way that West Ham want if you want him. It'll be because Manchester City really wanted him and he was tempted by that which is you can't really blame Edu for. Uh, and it'd be a drastic sort of turn of events based on the sort of groundwork we've done on this deal. Um, but, you know, we didn't sign Mudrik. We didn't push the bow out for Mudrik. Uh, the same for Vlahovic, I think, um, and Caicedo. And it turned out in all three cases, we were sort of justified, I think. Yeah, to be fair, Vlahovic was a little bit different, if I remember correctly, because I think he didn't yeah, really it was, want to come. Yeah, but. it was more about that. I mean, but he was always we, going to you, but now everyone wants to come to us. So, yeah, no, I mean, well, that's another thing. I mean, just being in the Champions League, cha- I think the manner with which we got into the Champions League has helped us a lot as well, because we didn't just scrape into fourth or whatever it was. We didn't, or we didn't even come fourth. We challenge for the title we emphatically got into the champions league so yeah players are going to look at us yeah now we like, we wouldn't have been able to make the signing a year ago no the, the I mean, project the project as arteta said has gone bang it really has and sure. it, it's a credit to everyone involved i mean i don't want to sound like sort of as we were in the title race like oh it's a miracle that we're here in the first place but it sort of is that we've Put in all this work, all this work, and it's we've done so much that Rice isn't interested in City. It's it's incredible. Well, he must be interested, but he still favours us. It's incredible work. Truly, and you know, I think even I I, I think we've pretty much beaten the the Rice topic to death. Uh, if I'm if I'm being honest, that's about twenty minutes on Declan Rice. So you're welcome, folks. I know that's all you all want to hear anyway. So. Um, we we do have to move on, but yeah, yeah I'm not I'm not going to lie. Every time I've seen like, and I I hope we get to talk about it, but every time I've seen like a timber development or a Havertz, I've been like, what's the rice news? Come on, give it exactly. to me. <laughs> yeah. No, same, same. But I mean, you know, we were talking about Champions League helping us um, pull players. That's that's a word that's been going around Twitter a lot these days. Pull. Um, but the thing is about it, like. Would we even be able to bring in these players like Timber and like Havertz if we didn't so emphatically get into the Champions League? Because I know Chelsea had a really rough season last campaign, and maybe Havertz would want to leave anyway. Maybe, you know. But the fact that we look like a legit team, I think, is really helping us a lot because I'm not so sure. Let's say, let's say we did get into the Champions League and Chelsea came sixth or something right? Would Havertz really care to join us? You know, I mean, sure, we're in the Champions League, but he's like, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a thing going at Chelsea. Maybe next season will be a little bit better. Who knows? But now that we look like that, effectively the second best team in the league, players are going players are gonna to want to come to us. Timber as well. I don't think we'd have a snowball's chance in hell at signing Timber if we didn't so emphatically get into the Champions League. So, yeah, that's putting us in a really good position, but Let's talk about Kai Havertz. Um, it's 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 time to stop talking about Rice. So, Alfie, I'll come to you first, my friend. Um, I don't know what you and Rob were really debating about, to be honest. That must have eluded me on the Twittersphere. But um, talk to me a little bit about your general thoughts of the deal and where you see him playing for us going into the 
going into the future because it looks like Havertz is pretty much like nailed on to come in. I, I would consider that one even more likely than Rice at this point. I can't wait to talk about this one. I'm very excited because I fucking love Kai Havertz. He's like my favorite player in the world. I want him so badly. Uh, <laughs> if you'd asked me this like two weeks ago, I'd have <laughs> definitely not said that. And he's a player I've really hated in the last few years. Just He just looks like a bit of a twat. But as Danny rightly pointed he out, looks like, he looks like he would be like friends with. Yeah. He looks like he'd be friends with Rob, though. Oh, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah, I see go- that. I see that. I mean, Danny, you rightly pointed out if we're losing Granite Shackle, we need a new prick to come in. So maybe he's the the new villain. But in all honesty, um, kind of like every transfer when initial rumors come out, unless you're really set on the player. Um. When you're not really set on the play, you're initially like, oh, fuck, what are we doing? And then you sort of talk yourself into it. It happens all the time. It happened with... Cedric, you know, yeah. William. Well, I was actually <laughs> going to get into that. Jorginho happened, for example. Initially, I was like, what are we doing? We all were quite negative about it. And then we did a podcast like two days later, and I was like, I really want Jorginho. I love him after hating him at Chelsea. Um, and I've sort of done the same with Kai Everts. Um and, you know, even Cedric, I remember back then convincing myself that it was a sensible signing. And I, I've gone very much back on that since. But after my initial sort of outburst about it, I was like, okay, I can see sense in it. Kai Havertz, a few years ago, during that sort of lockdown period um, and the, you know, project restart, we, we, we had like a full segment on him talking about how much we wanted him, how brilliant he was at, at Leverkusen. Uh, and he's come to Chelsea and he's largely underwhelmed. Um, and my initial sort of reaction to the, uh, the the reports were like, what are we doing? But I can see the sense in it now. Um, and I know me and Rob are going to disagree on it. But I think we're signing him to be our left eight. And yeah, I, I, I want to hear what Rob thinks he's good where he Rob thinks he's going to play and then I want to counter him so I like the idea of the left eight but I think it requires quite a big system or or not big system change but at the end of the day you're not going to get him running back and making the goal saving block that Granite Shaka made at uh at St James's Park are you so the, the, the role has to evolve I'm not going to lie, I, I, I do see him as a forward in this team. I, I see him as that taller profile of attacker that Arteta's sort of been flirting with ever since he, he came to the club. I know he's not bullish, but he's bigger. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think that that's what he is. He's sort of a false 90 second striker. And <laughs> Alfie's shaking his head. Um, and I think I, I do think that's what he is. I don't think he has the discipline within his game to play as, as a left eight. Uh, I think he might against um, Bournemouth at home. But in a big game, there's no way in how I'm playing him there. No way. Uh, that, that scares me. I'd rather that we... like played Rice as the left eight and put Jorginho in there. That's That would be my preference if we're playing a big game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't... 
I think it's a bit naive to be like squad planning around easy games. See, my my first sort of very surface level thought on that is that if you're signing a player for 60 to 65 million on like almost 200 grand a week or we don't know what the wages are. But yeah, that, that's the issue. That's what I can't wrap my you're, head around. You're, yeah, you're not bringing him in to sort of rotate amongst the front three. You're bringing him in to hold down a first team place. Um, and where is the sort of glaring hole in our squad currently, particularly with Shaka leaving? It is the left eight position. And I actually think he's he's kind of perfect for the role, and I think this could be incredibly smart scouting. I think it became quite clear early in the window that we weren't going to go for Rice and Caicedo just based on the fact that all the reporting suggested we wanted someone who's you know really a final third specialist to play in that left eight role, and that's what he is. Um, and when I think of what was Granite, what was one of Granite Shacker's main sort of responsibilities last year in our system. It was his off the ball movement, his runs into the box, his runs into the half spaces. Uh, and that's what he did so much of. That's how he yeah, ended up screaming. We, we are replacing the goals. We are. If this but, is the plan, we're replacing the goals. But what, but what about the rest of it? So I'll get into that. I think the if Granite Shacker can score nine goals in that left eight role, Kai Averts can get, you know, he, he could get scary numbers in that role. His, he... Granite Shaka was good at that, but Kai Averts, it's like his best attribute. His off the ball movement, his runs into the box, getting into goal scoring positions. He did it for deep from deeper uh, at Leverkusen. He's gone to Chelsea, and I don't think this false nine role suits him. I've never thought it has. I think he is an eight or 10. He's probably a 10, but then in our system, the two eights are 10s. And I think, I think Granite Shaka's defensive role has been massively exaggerated. I don't think he did much defensively most of the time last season. He was mostly a, basically a left 10, a left-sided 10, operating in that left space, very high up the pitch, getting into the box. Uh, and that's what Kajavac could do that to a higher level than than Granite Shaka could. Um, Alpha, you're, you're ignoring when we no, don't have the ball. You're ignoring no, I'm that. Not, we I'm sit not, in a 4-4-2 not, and Partey and Shaka sat in a double listen, pivot when we didn't have no, the no. ball. Listen, you did just no, ignore no, no. it. No, 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 no. I'm getting to it. Granite Shaka. You said Granite Shaka's uh, defensive role was exaggerated. It's it not was. exaggerated. It was. Off no, the okay. ball, he let, sat in the double pivot. Let me get to it. Granite Shaka's everything backs it. His average position, his touch matches, he was high up the pitch. There were some games, I'll give it to you, there were some games where he was more, it was more of a double pivot, particularly towards the end of the season after we lost Saliba and we knew we couldn't play as high a line because we had Rob Holding. So he he got deeper and he, he was more of a double pivot with Partey. I think, firstly, uh, when Saliba plays, we don't have to do that and we don't do that. Secondly, uh, if Saliba isn't there, we're looking to sign Jury and Timber, which makes us more able to play like how we normally do with Saliba. We won't having be having to bring in someone like Holding to do that. So we will be able to maintain that second pivot. Uh, sorry, that, that sort of advanced left eight. Thirdly, you know, if we bring him in, we'll still have, you know, we'll talk about Partey potentially leaving, but we'll still have Jorginho there. Um, El Nenny will still be at the club, Lavia. So you do have the option, as you said, in certain games to maybe use Rice as a left eight or more of a double pivot and bring Jorginho in, which I think is completely valid. And I think we will probably do that. I'm not saying Havertz will play every game at left eight, but I think for 90% of the games in the league, we are good enough to allow him to do that. 
Um, because I think when Granite Xhaka made his big defensive uh, contributions, they were towards the end of the get- season. I'm thinking of that Newcastle performance, and that was when he was more of a double pivot because we didn't have Saliba. Um, and partly also because it was Jorginho and not Partey, so we wanted more of a double pivot. So, so are you comfortable going also... to Everton away, coming up against Decore, Anana, and Adrisagana Gay, and playing with a midfield three of Havertz, Rice, and Erdegaard? Yes. I think I that's think, mental. <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't think it is. And the other thing about it is we we sort of talk about defensive stuff as in he's going to make last minute last ditch tackles and def- tackles in own third. Part of it is pressing from the front. Yeah, I actually I, I I don't want to dwell on that too much. That shouldn't happen. At the end of the season our our, our system did evolve and Shaka was deeper. But I can't stress enough that our pressing structure still is the four four two, and one of the midfielders comes back in. And I'm, I just don't know if I see either Erdegaard or Havertz being that. Havertz is a very good presser. He played under Thomas Tuchel. Oh, I don't doubt that he's system. a good presser. He but... played so, so we could be better at pressing. We can bring the ball up high, high up the pitch more. Also. Uh, I watched the TIFO video on this. I, w- I heard Clive talk about it. They both predict, um, and uh, we obviously don't know how this will pan out. They both predict that it will be Havertz and Jesus and Odegaard will drop in more when we're pressing and when we don't have the ball. And I think that is feasible based on the fact that Havertz is probably a better presser than even Odegaard is and Odegaard's good at it. Um, and that, so is, why is, that is wouldn't that, work. Is that, ha- is that Odegaard in the left eight then? No, 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 no. But it doesn't. Ma- it doesn't really matter which side it is. You should watch the Tifo video. Okay, it's good. I, I'm. I will, Alfie. I will. You will, and you'll be swayed. I, I just. Got, I'm so. I'm confused and I'm conflicted, to be honest. Because, like, on one hand, I from I now I will fully admit here. Um, I it's a small sample size of Kai Havertz. I don't get a whole lot of joy watching Chelsea. And I really don't get a whole lot of joy from watching the Bundesliga. No offense, Mac. Um, but it's like, <laughs> dude, uh, the the moments, the games that I've seen him playing, he's been in that false nine sort of role, and he hasn't looked uncomfortable in it. I feel like he's looked in place there. You know, I think at Chelsea, it could have gone better. He could have scored more goals. He could have got more assists, whatever. It just could have gone better overall, to be honest. Um but I really, I just, I've always seen him as a false nine. But... Get, get more players around him, and he's fine there. Sure. I think I don't he's... think you can analyze him as a striker in the Frank Lampard system, or 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 even yeah, well, basically Frank Lampard because it was Lampard at the start. I th- I think you can a little bit under Tuchel, and Tuchel did play him as the nine with like Werner and Mount really close to him. And he was really functional there. I like him as an option there. And I know that sometimes he won't play there, but I think a lot of the time he will. I like him as an option there, but he's not going to play over Jesus because Jesus is better at it. And we're signing him for 60 million. So yeah, completely I think agree. whether you like him or not, he's coming in to be the left eight. I, I, and that's, what, that's exactly what I was going to say. Though I see him as a false nine, and though I think I tend to agree with, with Rob in saying that I would prefer to see him there and have him as like an effectively a really expensive option off the bench, especially, you know, we've been talking 
about maybe a taller guy coming in, someone with more of an aerial threat. Um, I just heard, I think it was on the podcast with Charles Watts on on our, on the Arscast uh, that 30% of his goals were, were headers. So he's clearly an aerial threat. Um, I like that option to have on the bench, but ultimately, yeah, if he's costing us 60 million pounds and he's going to be on 200,000 pounds a week, we were just talking about it in the Declan Rice discussion. We are not Manchester City. We do not have 60 million pound options on the bench. So yeah, I, I think Alfie's probably right in saying that he's, He's going to play in that left eight position, but Alfie, I hope you're right, man, because I totally understand Rob's reservations over him playing in the position because if you're telling, telling someone that, Hey, this, you know, guy who's always been a false nine basically, or a number 10 or a striker, um, or, or when he has played deeper, it's been in apologies, but the vastly inferior Bundesliga that is going to worry a premier league fan, you know? when it comes to being off the ball. So I'm a little bit worried. I'm a little bit anxious about him playing there, but I do think that is ultimately where he's going to play. I, I think it's hilarious because I actually remember we had this chat about three years ago. We, we genuinely did. It was us three on a podcast chatting about Kai Havertz and discussing his best role. And I think uh, Daniel and I said uh, striker and Alfie said eight. So <laughs> We are consistent, folks. Yeah. By the way, Oh, you've muted that. Mute, mute yourself. Sorry, I'm muted. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if you heard anything I just said. Um, one thing I said in that podcast and in the group chat, I, well, I don't know if I said in the pod, but I said in the group chat, and this may be one of Daniel Fenton's worst takes of all time. I said Kai Havertz is a higher ceiling than Erling Holland. So basically anything I ever say, just don't listen to. I mean, I still think he's, his ceiling is really high. It's not Erling Holland, but on, on the aerial thing, I think we can still get a lot out of that as he, as as a left eight. Oh and yeah, how many times was Shaka at the back post winning headers? Exactly, it's it's a huge facet of our game, and I do like that. I like that. Yeah, and I just think when you watch our games, you see what the left eight does in like 80, 85, 90 percent of the time when we dominate possession. Shaka was not doing defensive stuff. He he wasn't making defensive interventions. He was only in a few games namely the Newcastle one when he was dropping into double pivot where he was. And as I've said, I think we can make changes in those certain games to, to adapt for the, for the state, for the, um, for the, the opponent, um, you know, particularly big away games. But I think you want more in possession when you're against more teams, he will be better at Shaka in those offense, in those offensive areas. So I'm just not worried about it. I think what happened towards the end of the season, uh, which made us worse defensively, a lot of it was uh, just not having William Saliba and it meant we dropped deeper and then there were too many gaps. Um, I think when we have Saliba and then when we potentially have Timber coming in for, you know, Saliba or White or whatever, instead of Rob Holding, that will be sort of that threat uh, in terms of dropping deeper will be negated. But also, I think it partly is because our number six, whether it was Partey or Rice, are not the most athletic, can't cover as much ground, and it meant we were getting caught in transition quite often. There's some goals that sort of reflect that, but I think the Theo Walcott one uh, at the Emirates uh, against Southampton, and then obviously there was the Awani one against Nottingham Forest, good examples of that. Declan Rice is a freakish athlete. If you have him in that six role, sweeping up, he is going to win so many second ball balls. He's going to stop those transitions. Um, and I just think we're better 
you know, we we can go, we can take even more risks in that left eight role and have someone who's better in the final third than Shaka was with someone like Declan Rice in place and also with, you know, Saliba in the team or if it's Timber coming in. Yeah, I've got to say I'm more comfortable with it if we flip the dynamics and it's the right back tucking in and then it's sort of like Timber doing the John Stones role. I would be more comfortable with it in that sense. So you know how City get lined up in, even though we pretty much play the same system, but they get lined up in that 3-2-4-1 type thing. I think I would be okay, more okay with it. But then I also don't want to lose Inchenko at all because I think he's one of our, our one of our best players. But there'll be games. I don't, I don't think, I don't you, think you lose, lose him. Yeah, I no. don't think you need to lose Inchenko. But um, yeah, there'll be games, and and this is what it's all about. At the end of the day, we we've, we've spoken about this for years. We're getting to a phase where there won't be a fixed starting eleven. Arteta doesn't want a strongest eleven. He wants a strongest eighteen, whatever. Um, so as long as we're strengthening that, I don't mind, and that's what like the likes of Timber are doing um, I'm sure Daniel would agree, will agree with me though it's just a shame that Kai Havertz is damaging our good looking quota it's horrendous <laughs> yeah he does I don't, look I could say this because I'm a weird looking guy myself but yeah he looks like a like a like a bird to me well, have a sorry Shaka to, to Havertz good looking wise <laughs> my god yeah that is a that is a pretty big down I, I think I think James spoke about that on the Ask Our Extra start last week he, he also isn't happy about that well and then you know you look at the fact we're also losing Pablo Mari and then the also by the way with Havertz I mean he's been at Chelsea for a couple of years so he probably just really stinks you know, like, I mean, like, that's not good. That's not good for dressing room morale. And I hope it doesn't, you know, force us into a relegation scrap this season, but we'll see what happens. Can um, I just say on the defensive thing, by the way, I know we're talking about, stats. we're talking about football players looks right now, Alfie. So no, you sorry, can't. sorry. <laughs> I'm going to have to bring it back to nerdiness. Uh, <laughs> What's up? I know counting stats aren't necessarily the best indication of sort of defensive output. But Kai Avertz tackles and interceptions per 90 last season, 1.44. Granite Shaka was only 1.47. So it's a tiny, tiny difference. Granite Shaka didn't defend last season. It was only a handful of games, as I said. So I think I just, I can understand why people, because naturally when you think Granite Shaka, Shaka to Kai Avertz, we've been sort of uh, conditioned to, to think of Shaka as a deeper player um, and Kai Havertz it has been a striker in the last few years. And naturally, when you think Shaka to Havertz, <laughs> when you think Shaka to Havertz playing in the same position, you think, oh, that feels very risky. That feels, you know, we're losing a lot of defensive stability. When actually, I think I've always thought Kai Havertz is a deeper, you know, he's an eight. He's an eight that arrives late in the box. And Shaka played a role where he was basically an attacking eight. So I think the it's actually a, a smaller difference, but Havertz would be better in that role. Um, and also, I, I understand why people generally aren't completely sold on Havertz in that A, it's the Chelsea thing. B, he's had some pretty underwhelming seasons. Um, but I think there's a lot of talent there. He showed it in, in, in Germany, even though it's a it's a worse league. He's shown it in patches at City, uh, sorry, at Chelsea, and also just back Arteta and his vision on this player. And there's enough talent there to say, in this system with a specific role for him, uh, he could really thrive. And I'm quite excited about it, to be honest. And hey, we we, uh, we replace one redemption arc with another. Isn't Maybe. that always good? 
we will see what happens. Uh, maybe, yeah. Speaking of maybe the redemption arc, Rob, is actually just Chelsea players coming to our team and not just being completely useless because they're just getting better and better progressively. David Luiz, you know, messed up quite a few times. You know, he was very David Luiz-ish when we brought him in. You know, red cards galore, mistakes leading to goals, whatever. But I think all in all, good servant for the club. Jorginho. Looks like he's starting to be a good servant for the club, but also still totally ancient. Now, Kai Havertz, the redemption. Yeah, I mean, every, everyone gets frustrated that we sign, you know, Louise, Jorginho, Czech, William, all sort of old. We've become the retirement age, retirement place for Chelsea. We've now signed, we're signing a player that's pre-prime, who's entering his prime, 24, who, you know, I think there was a lot of things about him being terrible last season, which is true. But I still think he was one of their better players. And, you know, there's have you, uh, they rotated so much. Like they had so many players. But he was one who still maintained pretty regular game time. I'm looking here. Uh, you know, he played in 35 of their 38 games. I, th- I don't think there's many that did that. In fact, I could check. Uh, one sec. So. Yeah, ma- I mean, managers I- tend to love him, which is always a good sign. Exactly. I've got it here. Him and uh, him and Gallagher played 35 games each. Uh, and the next was Kepa with 29. Um, and starts, he was top for them with 30. Uh, and the 20, Kepa 29, Thiago t- Silva 26. Um, so in a team that was rotating all the time, he was one uh, sort of consistent player in that team. Um, and I think it's because he wasn't, he wasn't good, but he was sort of the best of a bad bunch almost. And this is also different to any other Chelsea signing that Arsenal have made before, because if he's really, really good, we get to laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh in their faces because I think he's going to be good. He has underwhelmed, you know, the, the Champions League winning goal will always be priceless and he will always be probably fondly thought of because of that, but he hasn't fulfilled the, and that's, they paid a hundred million for him. I, I hate the like Chelsea fans claiming they paid like sixty. I don't really know what's going on there. He has not fulfilled that potential. But um, yeah, if he fulfills it at Arsenal, I'll be one happy man. Yeah, no, all of us will. So we'll we'll just we'll see what happens. I, I think that's about again. I said I think probably about 95 percent chance we will see what happens because I do think he's going to come to Arsenal. I, I see that one again as more likely than Declan Rice. Um, but you guys both, I, I noticed in that uh, little debate, and we'll kind of we'll swing through these last two subjects kind of quickly just because we're, we're already at almost an hour. Um, there's one more incoming we're going to talk about, but I feel like I have to talk about the potential outgoing now because uh, the, the main potential outgoing now because you guys really just almost seemed like you made it a point not to mention him, and it was Mr. Thomas Partey. Um when you're talking about the midfield plan for the future, I couldn't help, but both of you had kind of just made a plan without him in mind. So I'll come to Rob because I've been coming to Alfie for every time. I'm coming to you for Tim, uh, for Timber as well, Rob, because I love you both equally. I'm a great parent. Um, what is your thought process there? I mean, Saudi Arabia and Italy, basically. I, I don't know the club. I think it's, is it Juventus in Syria? Yeah. Yeah. It was Juventus. Um, Juventus, basically, and, and Saudi Arabia, the whole entity that is their league, have shown interest in Thomas Partey. Basically, it's like Juventus will give us $20 million, or Saudi Arabia will give us 30 40 
Partey will get way more money in Saudi Arabia, but he'll play for a respectable league, frankly, if he stays um, um, in Europe and goes to Syria. But Rob, are you just kind of looking at life without him? Because is this one of those situations where, you know, he's, it's, it's two years left on his contract. Do, and he's shown to kind of be injury prone. He really tapered off at the end of last season badly. I thought that was, you know, in terms of like a very high level player, those were some of the lowest level performances that I've seen from a very good player in a long time. It sort of reminded me of when we saw Ozil at his worst, just looking like a total passenger and like a shadow of, of his, of his real self. So yeah, I guess just answer me that Rob. I mean, is this a deal that you would look to sanction is just getting Thomas Partey out of the club? I mean, look, I know at the end of the day, all of us, want to talk about maybe some of the controversies surrounding the player, but we're not going to talk about that. I'm talking about just specifically for football. Is this a deal that you think makes sense for, for Arsenal's basically to just, you know, get rid of him? I don't, I'm not going to say cut your losses because he's come in he's done some really impressive stuff for us. Got us helped get us back into the champions league, but is it time to kind of say, Oh, it's a natural parting of the ways. I think it, it does feel natural. I've I've seen a lot of uh, sort of anxiety on my timeline about um, the breaking up of the Chaka Parte partnership. Uh, the fact that uh, you know that that's a big transition to make to move away from two players who have been pivotal in getting you eighty four points in the Premier League, our second highest total ever. Um, however. They only got us 84 points. They didn't get us any more than that. And I do genuinely think they were two guys who stopped us from getting those few more points. Uh, I think uh, it's something that I only really realized at the start, end of the season. But I think it was such an achievement that we managed to get as many points as we did with that midfield because there's flaws in there. Uh, and Thomas Partey at his best uh, was not one of those flaws for the majority of the season and reflecting on his time at the club uh, at his best he's not a flaw but when he's not at his best my god he falls off a cliff Um, and then you've got to take into account all the injury worries to be fair to him this season Uh, he stayed relatively injury free for the first time Um. But it, it just it feels like it would be the right time for me to to really try and move on. At the end of the day, we're bringing in a hundred million pound player supposedly who plays in the same role, which would suggest we want to move on. Um, I think personally, we are trying to avoid the season that Liverpool have just had with Fabinho. Uh, I think there were. Actually, I don't. Uh, I think it came completely out of nowhere, Fabinho falling off a cliff. I didn't see any signs of that last season. But it can happen. Um, And it's such a physically demanding role. If we were seeing signs of that at the end of last season, it might continue. Um, You know, signing Thomas Partey for £50 million from Atletico Madrid was brilliant. It was He joined us at a time when we were at our lowest. uh, And... He, he probably could have gone to, to most clubs at that point. Um, but we got him 
uh, and he's shown flashes of brilliance, but I think he's also shown that he's not the man who's going to guide us to elite, elite football. Um, so I, I think in terms of the footballer, I'd be happy to keep him around for another season. But if you're going to get 30, 40 million, you cannot turn that down. Uh, you know, I, I spoke about in our sort of transfer window prediction video about the, the, the idea of even letting him go for free. Uh, so to get a fee would be, would be great. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Danny, were you going to say something? No, I, I didn't even mean it. Well, I, guess I have the floor now, so I'll say something. But yeah, I mean, Alfie, like something that's all that I've always felt with Partey, and maybe I'm like being brutal and I'm being harsh, but like I'm looking at every other team in the squad, really, and I think we have basically an entire team of players that's mentalities are very, very good um, and, and physicalities as well, for the most part, that are very, very good. I'm not sure Thomas Partey, frankly, for the long term, is up to scratch in either department. Because uh, maybe I, it's it's hard to say mentally because I think mentally he's just kind of a shy guy. And that's okay. You could be shy, you could be quiet, and still be a very good footballer. Uh, gee, the best player to ever play the game, Mr. Lionel Messi, has shown that shy people can do really good at this sport. But physically has always been the issue for me. You mentioned him, Alfie, in the same sentence as fucking Jorginho. And the fact that we didn't even disagree because it's true is just, I think, a real issue. So long-term, it's he's not the he's not the solution. But the question is, I mean, is now the right time? Because I understand people's reservations when they say, you know, we're completely destroying a midfield pivot that helped get us into the Champions League, help us get into second spot. Yes, they fell off at the end, but they helped us get to where we are. And the growing pains that will inevitably come from doing that might really hurt quite a lot going into next season. So what are your thoughts on the situation? Well, I do think it's a risk when you're moving, you know, changing two players from a team that, you know, pushy to eight, four points, as Rob alluded to. Uh, I think he's you know, significantly more athletic than Jorginho. But, I mean, who isn't? Um, a lot of it is down to how physically robust is he is. Um, and I think he's shown that he is very fragile physically. We we probably should have seen the warning signs at Atletico. It wasn't that he picked up loads of injuries, but they managed him very carefully and he didn't play that many minutes, probably because they knew something about his body that meant he was, you know, physically fragile. Um, I don't think the club is... Uh, I, I think it still think it's 50-50 and maybe we shouldn't have sort of dismissed him earlier and we were just talking about Jorginho. I think maybe we thought, you know, he's guaranteed to go. I think it's very 50-50 from the reports. I think Fabrizio put out a tweet out today saying there is concrete interest from Saudi Arabia, but he's in no rush to leave uh, the club. And I sort of think the club would be, they're not like actively pushing to get rid of him, but they'd be very happy to move on if they got an offer because why wouldn't you? He's going to need to be replaced at some point. Um, and he's shown that he is not reliable in terms of his form could drop off randomly, but also he could get injured at any point. He could be unavailable. Yeah. Two years left and, as well, and no contract talks. Exactly. And I mean, he's not going to get a new contract, is he? I don't think. I don't think when we signed him on a five-year deal, at 27, 28, he was ever going to get a new contract. I think it was, you know, always a five-year deal. He'll probably leave at the end of the five years, or he'll we'll sell him with a year or two left. Um. But yeah, I th sort of think it's like one of those that 
if we get the offer, we'll move him on. But we, it's not a player we're desperately trying to move on, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. I think and, especially if it's forty million, dude. I'm sorry, but how could you not take that? You know. Yeah, yeah. And what 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 Rob was saying about they may have actually held us back from getting more than eighty four points. I I think maybe because uh, you know you look at the end of the season and how Partey failed, and I'm going to talk about. I think the evolution of this team is in the left eight. I think part of that doing that and bring in a final third specialist and someone can do more in the final third than Shaka is making your six more athletic and better at dealing with transitions. Um, because if you're sacrificing some of the defensive stuff that a left six can bring you, you have to make sure your sorry, a left eight can bring you, you have to make sure your left eight can actually cover ground. Your, your six can cover ground um, and could stop transitions and parte doesn't do that, but rice can. Um, just, that's just what... imagining Partey behind Havertz and Erdegaard. My God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could see how that could be. I, I think, again, I, I still think that would be sort of fine in smaller games, but in in there'll be a lot of games where we would get exposed. But I think Rice, when it's Rice behind Odegaard and Havertz, it makes a massive difference um, because you can leave Rice with a lot of space to cover. He'll still have Zinchenko behind, beside him, but you can leave him with a lot of space to cover and he'll be a lot better at dealing with it than Partey would be. Um, but, I mean, we, we were on a 100-point pace when we had Partey and Shaq and when we had all the pieces of that team together. So I don't think it's necessarily they held us back, but I do think we can get better if we move on from them and, you know, bring in that, player in the left eight who's better in the final third and then a six who is better at preventing transitions and retaining them and regaining the ball yeah yeah i agree um i think I, if Partey does go by the way we'll mm-hmm. we will move for another player i think so um, too. yeah yeah not, Ka- not, Kais- not caicedo by the way because that would be a dream scenario but i, I don't <laughs> think it's viable financially i yeah i've always felt the same yeah so. But if we get 40 million that we didn't anticipate getting at the start of the window, I do think things Rob. change a little. I'm not saying we get Caicedo, we just might oh, might spend a bit more. I, I don't think the plan was that we were going to get rid of Partey. I think we, we were like, we're going to get Rice and an eight, uh, sort of an attacking eight, uh, and we'll lose Shaka. Um, but then if Partey does go, then we move for another midfielder. Even so, I think I'd be vaguely comfortable with Jorginho and and Rice being our six options. But probably one more needed just so that we can be comfortable with like sort of moving Rice a bit further forward if need be in certain games. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just want to say on Jorginho too, I'm very pleased that he was just kind of like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it, Arsenal. I want to prove that I was, you know, a good signing and stuff, just basically completely destroying any of the of the Lazio rumors because I think that I think that's going to help us a lot going into next season because it's he's apparently a really good figure in the dressing room. Everybody really likes him, very popular guy. So yeah, whoa, you hear that thunder back and, there? And one more thing on yeah. uh, well, actually one more thing on Jorginho, which is something I was going to say before uh, after the Wolves game, but I didn't make on that podcast for reason we've discussed. Uh, he has about fourteen kids. Uh, he was running around with them after the game, and one of them looked like a baller. To be fair, even though they were about five, um, but pedophile. Uh, <laughs> I was watching. I was at. Oh, that doesn't sound whatever. Uh, 
uh, yeah. Also, his his kids and his wife are like like all English, uh, which I guess says something to do with like because I remember hearing his wife on his Instagram story, and then his kids, and they all like sounded English, um, um, and that's something to do with perhaps why he wouldn't want to go back to Lazio or go to Lazio, go back to Italy. Um, also, imagine being just some like English kid, and your kids called. Your, your dad's called Jorginho. be kind of sick, wouldn't it? Um, it obviously turns out, turns out he's just going to give one of the kids each to the rest of the players so they have to stay at Arsenal, uh, build a family with one of Jorginho's children, yeah. Um, if, if Arteta was, was in charge of, which, which he is, obviously, if he was in charge of their family lives, he is. But I'm, I'm sure Arteta will make that happen. Yeah, even like even Matt Turner. It's a kid, man. They're going to be saying, it's a dogfight out there, bruh. Come on. It's a dogfight out there, dog. Uh, <laughs> relax, dog. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to add on, on Havertz. As much as I've been sort of arguing for him to be a left day, I think it is an added bonus that he can play. Uh, he could fill in for Jesus down the middle and also... He's played out right, out wide on the right, so you know if you if you want to rest Saka for a game, you could bring him in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll see again what happens with Partey. I mean, I am inclined to think he'll stay. To be honest with you, I'm not sure it'll go through because I think at his age, he's he still wants to play at a high level. I mean, I don't think this guy's Ruben Neves. I don't think he's going to go over to Saudi Arabia and the peak of his. Maybe, maybe a little bit past the peak of his career, but I mean, he, he could still play in Europe, so I think he's going to. Um, Rob? I think, yeah, I think it's very 50-50 because yeah. if, if we got the offer of, you know, a ridiculous offer from Saudi Arabia, we'd obviously want it, but would he? That's that will, is what yeah. I would, <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that Ghanaian journalist claim that he was going to get like 100 million a year or something? And then uh, James Ben said it's more like 10 million a year. Uh, yeah, we, we, you know, isn't, isn't actually that sizable for a Saudi wage so yeah and it, it does sound like he wants to sort of um, stay in Europe even if he does maybe leave. what we do is we bring that to pre-season and we have Rice and Havertz in place and we make it very clear that he is not going to be starting games as much and then he decides he will leave hopefully we're going to see long balls over the top to Kareem Benzema and a partnership of Kante and Partey. That sounds like it would be just like unbelievable back in the Disney, by the way. But uh, it's a, man, we're getting old, aren't we? Um, okay, Rob, let's talk about this guy just for a couple minutes. Then I want to wrap up because this pod's uh, gone really long. Um, Timber, apparently out of nowhere, it's going down. I'm yelling Timber. Shout out. That's definitely going to be the chant, like 100%. Um, it looks like... We're going to sign this guy. I'm fairly confident. Obviously, this could go anywhere. But, man, it feels pretty good to hijack something from Manchester United, doesn't it? You better move. You better dance. Um, yeah. it's. A- a, sorry, we've had an update. Yeah, go uh, uh, Havertz to undergo medical in the next few hours. Uh, joins Arsenal for 65 mil. So, that is done. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, well, that's exciting. Um, yeah, Timber's a fantastic, fantastic rumour. I think we... I've already really covered why I think it's fantastic. I like the idea of him moving into midfield. Uh, he's a really technically astute player. The way he moves on the ball is just alien for a defender. You you, you don't really see it. Uh, and yeah, it, it looks like a really nice piece of scouting. I'm glad that he didn't go to United uh, last year. And, and really, I, 
you know, I think he can play as a centre-back, but he is a little bit on the small side. So I do see him as a right-back. I think really he, he could be the sort of Caicedo alternative for us. Uh, it eases my concerns a little bit about um, the lack of depth we would have back there. Um, and yeah, I, I really like the rumour. This is one that I am fundamentally 100% behind. I'd agree. Uh, I haven't watched the Arsenal Vision scouting video on him yet, but once I have, I'll be able to give more of an opinion on him as a player. But from everything I've heard and all his stats, he looks great. So, good bit of business. Yeah, and I, you know, I think just the idea of him. I think coming coming into the transfer window, we saw Rob Holding. We love Rob Holding, but we knew this guy needs to be replaced. But he's just not quite. He's not at the level that we're at anymore. It's he's he's just not there. And yeah, I think Timber. Is the type of player a big, serious club would go for? So, yeah, I'm thrilled that we're going for him. Much like Alfie, though, I don't know too much about the player, to be totally honest. But I think the fact that big teams have been linked with him for seemingly ages um, is is nothing but a good sign. So I think we will leave it there. Um, It's been a long podcast, been a good podcast. It's been a transfer extravaganza like they're all going to be. I guess we'll have a a Kai Havertz... um, exclusive or something coming at you at some point in the future, probably where we just talk about Kai. I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with them because I think it's just such an interesting uh, situation. That was pretty cool that we, we got a signing over the line on the podcast, by the way, that was, that was pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I guess to draw to a close, uh, Alfie will come to you first marketing opportunity of your lifetime. Uh, we love our sort of Okay. All right. Man, feels good. We haven't done that in forever. Johnny Wood, Rob Bob Birdie. What do you got for me, my friend? Um, yeah, go go subscribe to the YouTube channel, and hopefully we've got some content coming on there. Uh, follow Alfie on Instagram, we.love.u.arsenal. That's probably how you found us anyway. So, And 3Alfie11 on Instagram. Uh, oh, great God. holiday pics coming. <laughs> that is disgusting vile filthy um yeah follow daniel on twitter follow me on twitter don't follow mac yeah nice no don't do it anybody i'll, I'll go as far as to saying block mac block mac block, block mac, mac john uh, at mac johnson 22152 on twitter i heard he jumped off a mountain earlier great news isn't it i yeah i know i i uh i was really thrilled when fabrizio romano came out with the with the <laughs> Mac to death. Here we go. <laughs> um, also, we got news coming out from you as well. We um, have made an OnlyFans. So join we.make.love.u.arsenal at onlyfanandpodcast.com. <laughs> Dude, imagine, imagine we had a nude podcast. <laughs> one day. One day. If they pay us enough. Johnny would. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess I'll plug something then. Uh, Check out the website. It's awesome. One day I'll release an article someday in the next few years. Um, Leave a review, people. What are you doing, man? I ask them every freaking day, Alfie, to leave a review, and they just they don't listen to me. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just don't have that Arteta juice about me. I have no authority, so they don't they don't give a shit about what I say. Um, Also, outside of football, you guys, I'm sure have seen this. I've been told I look like him about 450 times. Check out that hardest geezer guy 
on Twitter and on YouTube, the mad ginger lad running across the length of Africa. I am obsessed with that. Oh, yeah, right he does now. look a bit like you, just, just in terms of gingerness, but yeah. Yeah, well, basically, you know, I've basically been told I look like every single ginger to ever exist. So, yeah, there is that. But um, yeah, It's the yeah, beard no, as well. It's the beard. Yeah, yeah. I need to get his bucket hat thing he has. The thing is sick, bro. Um, but yeah, check him out. He's, he's so fun, dude. I'm going to freaking watch him. I like to go on like my little two mile runs and then watch him be like, dude, this is basically me. You know? <laughs> I mean, he's in, uh, Angola now, isn't he? So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So fair play to tracking is, is the is hardest route. geezer. Freaking badass. Okay. Well, I think that's it for today. It is also raining cats and dogs outside and I probably will lose power here shortly. So this is definitely a good time to wrap up. We need a song. It's just so American. Like that just doesn't happen in the UK. Like, oh, we're gonna lose power. Like Mac has said it before as well. Like, how could you just lose uh, electricity? You do get the occasional power cut. Yeah, but come on. It's, like, it's normally in the winter as well. You get like you one could, every couple could, of years. Yeah, you could compare our um, our power grids to Thomas Partey because once summer gets closer, it just totally <laughs> runs out of power. Dude, yeah, no, it's bad. Well. Also, it doesn't help that Florida's like one of the lightning capitals of the fucking world, bro. So it's just electric all over. You like, I'll get zapped if I go outside right now. Check that out on the OnlyFans. I get struck by lightning. It's gonna be sick. The song, I think. Have we've we've done Ice Ice Baby, haven't we? I think. Yeah, and we need to save it for when he fully gets confirmed. I think oh, to use it again, Ice Ice we Baby. Need to, we need to Timber as well. For when no, no, I, I reckon we can use Timber. We haven't done it. What did you do last week? Uh, we just did like London's cooling because we didn't yeah. have anything else. Some rock shit. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, okay, well, we'll do Timber. The Angel. <laughs> no. Let's just do that every time. Making its 48th appearance. <laughs> I wonder if there, is there a song called like Tall, Ugly, Left 8 slash False 9? Big fucking German. We've got a big fucking German. By the way, he is I, I, want, I say we commit to never using the Angel until we win a full major trophy, so Premier League or Champions League. Oh, I like we, it. We just can't stick by that promise, can we? We, we have to. We yeah, have to. There'll be a week where it'll be very applicable. We will be there. Come on. I'm, Come I'm, on, saying, yeah. I'm saying we're doing that. I'm we're going to do this. Executive decision from... A less senior person than the other two, probably, but <laughs> exactly it's happening. Right. It's happened again. All right, that's it, folks. Leave a review. We hate it. Bye. It's going down. I'm yelling to my. You better move. You better dance. Let's make a night. You won't remember.